What up, peeps? I'm going to give you a quick update here. The Rangers at home can't lose to the Edmonton Oilers when you're winning three zip going into the third. That's disgraceful. As a matter of fact, I've been watching hockey since 1971. John Rattel to this day is my favorite Ranger of all time. It's the worst loss I've seen, period, full stop. But nobody cares because it's Monday, November 28th. It's the last Monday in November. This is Market Call. Guy Adami here. Dan Nathan there in just a brief few minutes. Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by Fact Set Financial Data and Analytics that are powered by tomorrow. I'm powered um, by a great holiday weekend, um, a disturbing Thursday Thanksgiving day in Dallas, although I expected the outcome. Now the Giants have lost three of four. And sort of on the outside looking in, Dan, I know you don't care about any of that. No, I don't. Um, but I will tell you, I, I'm thankful to be back with you, Guy, on a Monday <clears throat> doing market call here. It's it's a sea of red on my fact set screen, mm. just so you know. Um, you know, the one thing that I do see that's kind of a little bit of a bright spot, maybe it's consumer discretionary. You and I were just talking before the call. It seemed like the, the Black Friday, the Cyber Monday stuff was kind of less promotional, less mm-hmm. aggressive, that sort of thing. Maybe that's purely anecdotal. And I do think it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about retail the last couple of weeks and those results from Walmart and Target. And they were telling two different stories, right? Two different companies managing inventories differently, managing inflationary pressures differently, de- dealing with maybe a slightly different customer um, here and there. So I, I think this is going to be a, a pretty interesting one to watch. Um, but there's not too many other bright spots, Guy. When you think of this, um, you know, we wake up to, I, I guess, China, a little upheaval, zero COVID, getting long in the tooth. The people are out in the streets. What's interesting, and, and I I could make an age joke, but I'm not. You know, think back to Tiananmen Square and just think about how little information was able to go viral within China right back then. And think about it now. The fact that we are seeing videos of, of protests in major cities right throughout China is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. in a way, right? So I'm curious your thoughts on this. I know that Jim Cramer was tweeting this this morning. He thinks that the headlines about China are getting long in the tooth. I'm not so sure, though. I don't know if they I mean, they might be getting long in the tooth in terms of we've been talking about them for a long time. But to your point, it doesn't don't dismiss what's going on there. As a matter of fact, I think we're in the early innings of all this in terms of what the outcome is going to mean for the broader market. So, you know, the upheaval you see there is clearly having an impact. The currency in China continues to deteriorate. That's not bullish. And you have to wonder at what point does it start hurting the multinationals? domiciled here in the United States that obviously have exposure there. And to a certain extent, we might be seeing that today. But I think, you know, long in the tooth, yeah, maybe are people tired of talking about it? People are tired of talking about COVID as well, I'm sure, here in the United States, but it doesn't mean it's over uh, by any stretch of imagination. Yeah, I guess my point is, I think what his implication was as it relates to markets, the fact that it's dragging down our markets. But again, when you think about, you know, the expectation of China, you know, coming back online, let's say, and what that would do, the sort of tailwind for the global economy, I don't think it's, I think it's going to be something that we're going to obsess over. Um, All right, let's talk about this week in general. There's going to be some really interesting software results. And I think, you know, you and I have been talking 
talking about this. It seems like since June, you know, we've been waiting for some of these enterprise software companies to talk about weakening demand. We think some of the earnings that we saw, you know, last month or so highlighted the fact that we are seeing weakening enterprise demand. So we're going to get a good take on that. Here's the other thing. Credit Suisse has their annual, you know, TMT conference really heavy with semis. And oftentimes over the years, I've been following this conference. I've been there for years and years. I'm not going this week, but there have been, there have been downgrades to guidance, to outlooks. This used to be when semiconductor companies used to hold their mid-quarter updates. It was the first week of the third month of each quarter. So might we see some downgrades to guidance? When you think about the fact that Apple has Foxconn factories shut down, right? Because of uh, the zero COVID, it might be really hard for some of these semi-companies to meet their quarters, which we fully expect. And then at the end of the week, we got the jobs report. Give it to me, guy. This is kind of an action-packed week. Yeah, it is. The jobs report to me is the most important. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say most important. That's the thing that I'll be watching, obviously, extraordinarily closely. I think if you're bullish in the market, which most people clearly are, you want to see a deterioration in the job market, as counterintuitive as that might sound. I think if you see unemployment can continue to tick up in a meaningful way. I think bulls will take that as, you know what, the Fed's job is being done for them. They're going to take their foot off the accelerator and they will interpret that as bullish for the market. We'll see. So that's what I'm watching. But in terms of just Salesforce, I think on Wednesday, you know, this stock, while it's trading 153, I think the recent low is 136. There's been really no meaningful bounce in this stock over the last four or five months on a tape that's obviously gone up and down over that time period. So I think they're really important. Snowflake is a company you mentioned as well. Look at that Salesforce chart just real quick. You see what I'm talking about. I mean, we've effectively gone sideways now for quite some time. And Snowflake's another company. I mean, this was a $400 stock. I think it's trading $140 now. People can start actually wrapping their head around Snowflake on a valuation metric, believe it or not. So both these are important. For me, it's jobs on Friday, though, that sort of trumps everything. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and I'll just say this. I mean, the expectations aren't particularly high. Unemployment rate static at 3.7%. I mean, if it was a little cooler, and maybe that has to do with some su- seasonal hiring, that sort of thing. I mean, what what will the reaction be? Because we saw when we saw cooler data on the flip side on inflation, we saw the market mm-hmm. rallying. So if we see unemployment not go up, to your point, might we see the market sell off? And, and, yeah. and who, who knows? You know? Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, again, it's not necessarily that human beings are doing these <clears throat> things, but pr- programs are set up to generate buy or sell signals based on these headlines. So regardless of the reason, if unemployment were to come in better than expected, market's going to sell off full stop because yeah. those machines will interpret that as bearish and the market will solve on the back of that, regardless of the reason why. And that's just the world we live in for the last few years. Yeah. Listen, I've been kind of like floating this as a little bit of a trial balloon. And again, it's maybe me kind of trying to see a silver lining in all of this. I mean, I think there's a chance that maybe we get out of 2023 with a recession that is not as deep as maybe some would think, you know, given worst case scenarios where unemployment doesn't have to go up meaningfully. Maybe there's a way to kind of take our medicine a little bit. And I know that, you know, this is probably a conversation for another time, that would be the good. That that would be the silver lining of all this. And you say this all the time, guy. I mean, recessions are kind of natural. They're they're kind of healthy, if you will. Take out a little excess in the in 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 the in the economy, and the markets will start to kind of obviously discount that. But I'll just tell you this: you know, the S and P five hundred. We can pull it up here. You know, down sixteen percent on the year. Now, obviously, it's rallied about fifteen percent from the lows or so. That just doesn't incorporate the potential even for a mild recession next year. 
my opinion. Yeah, and you see this pennant. Where sh- again, this is a chart we've shown now f- for the last few months, and it's really held up nicely in terms of the lines and trading up to the downtrend line and failing. And it looks as though we're doing it again. You see the 200-day moving average that we effectively touched, seemingly been rejected at. And again, it's this uptrend line that you drew, this steep one that's going to, I think, worth watching, bears watching. If we did break that, I think that 3490 level we saw in October is in play. And it's nothing new. We've been saying this for a while. Carter would probably agree as well. Obviously, today is bolstering that um, opinion, I guess. And we'll see how the rest of the week shakes out. But I think technically, this has done everything it should have done basically since November of last year, since this time last year. When the Fed changed course. Yeah. And and the other thing I just mentioned is, you know, we talked about the VIX a little bit last week and, and you see this kind of pattern that's, you know, forming here. Mm-hmm. You see what happened. I mean, you know, when the VIX has gotten to this kind of uptrend over the last year or so, it's probably been a good time to sell stocks. And the flip side has been true when it's gotten to that downtrend or so, it's mm-hmm. a good spot to be buying them. So let's see. It feels like that the S&P is working into that kind of tension spot. And it looks like the VIX is at a kind of key spot support level if you want to put those sort of things together. Now, we started talking about retail a little bit, and the pace of the consumer is really important. Just look at this XLY. This is the consumer discretionary ETF guy. And if you look at the top holdings, it's Amazon, Tesla, Home Depot, uh, McDonald's, and Lowe's. I see Amazon up by 1% today. Um, I see Home Depot down 1.5%. Okay, so telling two different stories here. Tesla's up a little bit. But this one, you know, it did make a new low last month. Okay, it's not up nearly as much as the the S&P or the NASDAQ, but it feels like it's trying to hold here. But again, I mean, to me, what would be more important is you could say, well, that relative underperformance might be a tell about the consumer, right? After all of the stuff that we've been through this year, trying to gauge where savings rates are, where consumer credit is, where the appetite to spend is, where discretional spending discretional spending is going because of higher food prices, higher rents, higher mortgages, higher fuel costs, all that sort of stuff. What is this? What is the XLY telling you right yeah, now? Yeah, listen, I mean, the state of the consumer is not nearly as robust as people, as pundits would want them to believe. I say it all the time, never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. They will spend virtually under any scenario except a few, but now they're strapped. I mean, again, can you talk about consumer credit approaching $5 trillion? And what is that credit card debt? That's uh, school loan debt. That's obviously educational debt. I mean, they're all, excuse me, school loans, uh, auto loans, and and credit card debt on top of mortgages, right? So that makes up a robust part of the $5 trillion. And credit card debt is now north of a trillion dollars in this country, and the savings rate continues to go down. That, to me, does not paint a particularly rosy picture. So this chart makes a lot of sense. Clearly, there's some uh, retailers that are doing well in this environment, but I think the lion's share are having difficulties, and I think this speaks to exactly that. That's support level, by the way, and that is support. I think we're going to take it out. I think it's just a matter of time, and I think it's going to sort of coincide with the S&P rolling over. Yeah, so two of the largest holdings, again, let's look at Amazon really quickly. You see that kind of breakdown level from last month, the gap lower on earnings and then kept on going lower. You know, maybe let's just call it 100 bucks or so. That seems like a level. And then on the Home Depot, on the flip side, this had a really nice bounce guy off of those lows. It did not make a new uh, 52-week low, but you see that technical resistance overhead. Anything between these two names that they're telling you, the, the like the little bit of divergence. I think Carter might say the Home Depot might look like a bearish to bullish reversal. Amazon just looks bad. 
Yeah, and Carter's pointed that out by a while in terms of Home Depot. He actually called it a few weeks ago when this was still in a downtrend, and he thought you had a bearish to bullish reversal, and it's playing out. But I also think that if you look at where we're topping out at the levels we last saw in August, this is not a bad place to take some money off the table if you belong to stock and probably look for a pullback back to the 200-day moving average. Again, anecdotally, what does it say? I mean, I don't think you can look at one reach, and I'm not suggesting you're doing this, and say, this suggests that consumer is healthy or not healthy. Each one of these is their own story. I mean, I think you would agree that target the problems that they're facing are in large part yep. target specific and Walmart's the other side of that coin. But my point about the consumer is I think you have to really take look and take heed of some of the numbers around the consumer. I don't think it paints a particularly rosy picture going into 2023 and a rising, until this point at least, a rising interest rate environment where now consumer debt is approaching $5 trillion. Yeah. All right. And so one one big part of this, again, is obviously inflation. And, and while maybe some of the data appears that it's peaking off of 40-year highs, we're still going to have really elevated levels, you know, even as it comes down um, year over year. One of the things that, you know, we've been tracking pretty closely, and I think most market participants, has been the price of crude oil, right? Because mm-hmm. that translates into to gas at the pump here. And so when you think about a 40% drop from that kind of double top high from the summer, the spring, and the summer, um, if you will, you know, here's a two year chart, you see it broke that uptrend that's been in place, you know, since the end of 2020 here. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, this is an important level here, you know, it's getting a bit more volatile as it approached those 52 week lows or the prior low here. And so we're seeing a lot of intraday volatility guy, what is that saying to you? Because that breakdown level, that uptrend is going to be important technical mm-hmm. resistance for the for some time. Well, the next support is going to come in the form of basically the levels we saw this time last year before obviously Russia Ukraine I mean that that's where we seem to be going to I think that was like 65 bucks or so yeah now the only other thing the, the flip side of that coin is there's some news out of OPEC that you know they will decide to cut production which makes sense given where the price is and you obviously have the Biden administration at some point is going to have to replenish the SPR and they've traded it I mean if I'm being honest if they were able to buy stuff back here that's, yep. an, that's a very strong trade by them if you look at it through the lens of a commodities trader. But I think you're right to point out these levels. What we've talked about for a while, though, despite the weakness in the underlying commodity and commodities around energy, the stocks have held in okay until recently. And you've pointed out, and if we can pull up a quick XLE chart before we get to Carter, I mean, that double top is staring you in the face. The same thing with OIH around that 315 to 320 level. And seemingly sort of rolling over here. I know you had a bearish position on an XLE that's coming to fruition. And those double tops are sort of scary here. That's the XLE chart, I believe. And it's really playing out the way you thought it would. Yeah, I, listen, I think this is going to be a big debate. I mean, I think a lot of very smart investors think that, um, you know, like big, you know, mutual fund complexes, you know, because of ESG and, and the like, they've been underinvested in these areas. And then these companies, as you've also pointed out, um, have managed themselves pretty well, you know, during the, 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 the downturn during COVID. They're leaner, they're better run, that sort of thing. And they're cheap on valuation. So to me, it just seems like there's a lot of people hiding out in this space. Um, and I really do think that we're likely to see a bit of a pullback over the next few months. So I still like that XLE short, the OIH. I'm not involved, but I think that looks about the same. All right, let's do it. Carter Braxton Worth. He has been patiently, patiently waiting up worth charting. Oh, it's a great. Uh, it's nice to be sort of that's listening. That's, that's and, a handsome. You got some sun down there was, in the was, FLA. Was, that's right. That's right. Yeah. By the way, somebody just put in the in the chat. Carter is the god of charts, and I would agree with that, man. If this was Greek mythology, somebody would name some god after you. 
Just saying. Chartimus <laughs> well, no. or something. Well, they did. It, Amanda the Diaz. It is, of course, as you both know. That it's when when Amanda Diaz was with the, at CNBC, she nicknamed them the Chartmaster. He right. has his own, he's a, his own thing. But, All right, but, Carter, talk, yeah, to yeah, us, yeah, talk to us a little bit. You know, last week, low volume, you know, holiday shortened, that sort of thing. I think people get conditioned to kind of play for up weeks. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and we talked about it, I think, a little bit last week. Reaction, pretty disappointing. Didn't close particularly well on Friday. Follow through today. It seems like a bunch of macro stuff, nothing here in the U.S. we can kind of put our finger on. Thoughts on just what, what you're seeing uh, on the tape here today? Well, the first thing is, of course, of how light the trading is. We know that Friday was um, a half session, right? But but today, if you look at the volume on the spies and while the day isn't over, it's going to be very, very light. I, I think uh, there's a crowd that's trying to play for a year-end rally and uh, there are plenty of people who are betting against that, and we're, we're stuck, and we don't have much that can inform the markets. So yeah. to that extent, the market can, in many ways, be pushed around, uh, so to speak. But uh, I think one thing you guys were talking about, of course, is the importance of the consumer. And what we know is that there's been real divergence, right? The XLY, which is meant to measure the S&P 500 consumer discretionary sector, is so dominated by those two big names, Amazon and Tesla, at 35%. But if you look at the actual equal weighted sector, which then gives a big weight to these moves in Burlington and Guess and Gap and Macy's and all the restaurants, it's actually outperforming the SPY by a measurable amount, almost to the extent that I think it's gone too far too fast. So if you look at the XRT or some other ways to measure that, I think you start to fade it here. You've had a lot of uh, players heard from, a lot of moves up 40, 80, 100% off their lows. And I think uh, consumers a uh, place not to be. Yeah, it's a, which I think we're in accord. I think this has played out the way you thought it would for a while. And the fact that we traded up to the 200-day and seemingly failed, I'm saying seemingly because we have to give it a couple of days in the S&P, I think is interesting. So I think it's, to me, it's the next level now, the next leg lower. We've just begun. Apple's a name that you talked about, you've been spot on about, obviously not performing particularly well. You brought some charts to illustrate exactly that. Sure, let's do it. Uh, it. It looks like all the same chart, but it's not. And we'll move quickly here. Uh, we've got a bunch. Each one is a, is a relative strength line or a ratio chart, Apple to something else. And if you look at Apple's performance to the S&P seen here, it has all the elements of a bullish to bearish reversal. Here's to the equal weight. Let's toggle those two. Now, notice that the first one, Apple makes a new high relative to its 2018 high, but to the equal weight, it never could get above its its real performance peaked in in uh, 2020 uh, at the COVID uh, sort of nadir. Okay, keep going. What we have here is relative to tech. That's its its peer group. Next is relative to the Russell 2000. And while it all looks the same, the message is, of course, Apple's been such a big performer. It's so crowded, so loved. Um, I think there's a lot of underperformance ahead. Uh, we might have others. We have there's to the Dow, right? Dow Jones just has all the elements of a rollover. Uh, and we can keep going. There's the S&P pure growth, which eliminates stocks that don't meet certain growth characteristics. And look at to the pure value. Any way you slice it, and that's the expression, right? You kind of come up. Uh, look at uh, look at the next. This is the stock 600. So that's our S and P 500 in Europe. That's in euros. Look at it in dollars, and then look at it to the MSCI All Country World Index, the final. And and, and there's nothing uh, in and of itself that it says Apple has to go down or has to go up because the pattern itself here now is a pair of twos. But it's all about relative. 
Um, and, and a lot of people say, no, it's not. I'm not running a portfolio uh, that's meant to benchmark. It says, I'm just trying to make money. Yeah. But it is relative because you're sitting in the backyard in 1999 and you say, guess what, everybody? I'm up 25%. And the neighbor says, I'm up 40. I'm up 50. I'm up 38. You're up 25. You suck. Meaning it is relative. It's what your choices were. And yeah. Apple is not a good choice. Here. All right. So let, let's let's broaden that out because, again, Apple is a little more than 6.5% of the S&P 500. It's 13.5% of the NASDAQ 100. And so you made an outright bearish call on Apple a couple of weeks ago. That was correct here. So now you're just showing versus almost every major your index, the relative underperformance, does this have the potential to lead to the downside? It's only down, I don't know, 17, 18% on the year versus a NASDAQ that's down 29% of the year versus an S&P that's down about 16% of the year. We've seen big rotations. We've seen outperformance in financials. We've seen the outperformance in, in, in energy of late. We've seen some of the moves, like you said, in some of these um, other retailers. It seems like a lot of money has gone other places over the last couple of months or so does Apple have the potential to lead to the downside? Because again, you know, Apple reported earnings, they guided down, then they guided down again. And now people say they might have to guide down again, given what's going on in China with iPhones. Right. It, it has come down begrudgingly. I would say it that right. It hasn't had the beating that, of course, Google has had or Microsoft or other uh, sort of marquee names. And yet, and that's why it is a pair of twos here. But what is the upside potential? And so if one is just trading off Okay, maybe it's got upside, but there's always downside risk. It's always about managing the risk. And so why why hold something when one can either be in cash or find something that has more opportunity as a short or a long? Yeah. Hey, Carter, real quickly, I don't know if you heard us talk about semis earlier. And, um, you know, so the, a lot of the companies that are in the SMH, the ETF, the tracks, the Philadelphia Semiconductor um, uh, Index are going to be speaking this week at this Credit Suisse event. And again, you know, this used to be when these companies gave their mid-quarter updates and the potential for maybe some some guide down. I don't know how any of them are going to be able to guide up. But when you look at, you know, just kind of the reliance on the smartphone supply chain, you know, for a lot of these big names or some of the other things, you know, look at an NVIDIA, you know, so levered to, let's say, graphic chips that are going to be a big part of whatever the shift is that's going on to the metaverse for like companies like Facebook, that sort of thing. When you look at the the, the move that semis have had, obviously, NVIDIA is a huge part of that. I think it's up 50 percent or so from its lows. You see it contending with this 200 day moving average, probably a pretty decent little consolidation at technical resistance. Thoughts on semis. And then we have a five year chart of the SMH here. I just drew some lines here, man. It, it's above. It's downtrend that's been in place from the highs this year, but you see that support that it bounced off of. But again, that 200-day, I know you like to use the 150 here, um, is resistance. Thoughts on semis in general? Right. So if we just looked at this chart and we took everything away, the red line, the green lines, even the moving average, there's no other way to characterize it than this. It is something that topped months and months ago, 10 months, that has had substantial counter trend rallies within a downtrend. And is this current move anything other than a counter trend rally? Um, I don't think so. I agree with you. And if you look at a lot of these names, they're still not cheap on valuation, despite the fact a lot of them are more than cut in half. I mean, they're still relatively expensive when you compare them to the broader market. So it, to Dan's point, I don't know what's changed over the last couple months to all of a sudden getting positive, um, you know, I don't even want to say pre-announcement, but just positive guidance going forward, an environment where things are slowing down. I mean, if you think about 
the most attached to global economies, semiconductors is almost at the top of the list, and things are clearly slowing down. So I'm hard-pressed to believe that the SMH is not going to fail at this 200-day, Dan. I think that's exactly the right level. And there also, there was this notion that crept into the sort of the vernacular and the investment community that somehow they're not cyclical, right? That they're, they're, they've changed. They're going to be mm-hmm. a permanent because they're in every car and refrigerator and you, you just need them forever. It's a highly competitive business and it's a highly cyclical business and that yeah. has not changed. Yeah. All right. Here's one, not as sexy, maybe as semiconductors, but, but you want to talk about utilities a little bit. And, you know, when I'm looking at my one-year chart on fact set right here, I see every once in a while, then tell me, is this useful or not? Um, the high of this year was 78. The low was 60. The average price over the time period I'm looking at is basically 70 and a half. Here's the ETF that tracks utility sector trading at 70 and quarter. So it's right right there at the average mm-hmm. here. Okay. Um, does that, does that mean anything to you? Like when you see this chart, if you didn't see what was on it, does it, is dead smack where it was a year ago, right in the middle of the range. Right. And, and if you looked at the high and, and the low and you tried to do a fib retracement, it's actually more than 50%. But the point is, and that's what I think you're making is that, is it anything other than it's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what about that? And, and that's the key is always when you're looking at a chart is to try to suspend anything, you know, or you think, you know, right. So if it really didn't say utilities and we were just looking at these black bars on this white background, what about that makes us want to go out and buy it? Now, mm-hmm. what makes me want to sell it is that it's a pretty big ricochet to, and you'll see it here, I think we have some charts, to its 150 moving average, which is typically a level where you'll encounter some overhead supply. Um, oh, oh, this is fun. Actually, before we look at this, I just wanted to make a point about, you know, for those who aren't just trading, but who are also holding on to things long-term and trying to manage assets for retirement or whatever it might be for their, uh, their uh, any long-term thinking, look at this. Now, this is the S&P 500 total return versus the utilities total return. If you polled 100 people and said, if utilities kept up with the S&P since 1999, they would say no chance. And here it is. It's in black and white. Now, if you look at the actual indices, we have them next. Of course, um, the actual indices, there's a big spread, right? The total return is what utilities are all about. And at this point, um, here's the here's the chart. And let's look at the XLU and put in the 150 moving average. It's a big move to a difficult level. And so while on the shorter term chart, it's sort of, eh, I think it's steep, uncorrected, and likely to be at a minimum a, a small short, or if you've caught this well, a profit-taking instance. Yeah. And if we go, it's interesting because this is going to dovetail nicely into our rates conversation. But if you go back and look at that prior chart where effectively they both return about 440% over that time period, it doesn't make sense. But if you think about it through the lens of interest rates, it makes a lot of sense because as rates continue to push lower, it behooved, it benefited utilities. It's just a proxy rate play. And I, I just look at the last couple of weeks, a name like Con Edison, for example, which is one of the big utilities out there. This was a $78 stock in the middle of October. A month later, it's trading 96. It's not because their business changed uh, that markedly over that period of time. It's because interest rates have gone down. Right. It's really that simple. So if Carter's right um, in terms of slowing down here, maybe maybe 10-year yields a bottom in the short term. But if you think, and I'm speaking to the audience now, if you think yields can continue to go lower, um, I think you want to stay long some of these utilities, whether it's names like Con Edison or the XLU, Dan. I, 
Great conversation is is really important here because, you know, Carter, we've been talking about it. I know that we all are in agreement. We thought that the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield would come in more reflective of, let's say, expected growth going forward here. And, you know, again, I look at that chart. I kind of want to sell it, too. I like how you use the the kind of the, the term, um, you know, the kind of, I don't know, whatever you call it, the, the bounce, you know what I mean? But being mm-hmm. kind of rejected at that kind of moving yeah. average. And it seems like a little too far, a little too fast. Um, but to guy's point I, I think that you know if you have a, a view of lower rates then 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 maybe they do make sense to be a buyer on pullback but look at the 10-year here carter we've all thought three and a half we're probably going to get there pretty soon what would it take just from an investment like what would it take from an investor mindset to drive that 10-year yield back to that uptrend which you know it kind of over the last couple of years is is kind of bounced off of it and you see that rising 200 day uh, i'm just curious in, in your thought process where would the s p 500 likely be if we saw the 10-year back at three percent well, that's the great debate. A lot of people say the S&P is higher, 5,000, 6,000. It's going, I think it's the opposite. The, mm. the lower rates go here, uh, the more it means that we are increasingly likely to go into a period of contraction, which means Main Street, right? Yeah. Corporate profits. And that um, S&P is not higher in that environment. Yeah. Well, yeah one, this, one quick comment, you know, Guy, I, I know that both you and Carter have liked the TLT long over the last few weeks. Is that a really nice bounce? I think, Guy, you thought it maybe the TLT gets to 112 or so off of a low of what, 90 um, just last month. I've been playing it through the GOVT. I'll just say that I, I'm kind of rolling this position in the GOVT up a little bit. I, I actually think that once we kind of get through three and a half, I think it could accelerate on the downside to me. So again, I, I still like that trade. I'm rolling it out a little bit, especially when you're using options. You got to be really mindful of the fact that you know they are decaying. If and especially in a low vol instrument like this, that are just going to kind of move slowly here. So to me, I still like that. If you draw a line, and maybe Carter later this week we'll take a look at some of these. There are massive, massive downtrends that have been in place in the TLT GOVT. Obviously, it's, it's the flip side of the yield chart here. And maybe we get through those. Maybe we really get going into 2023. People have gotten themselves off sides, I think, in a major way in terms of 10-year yields. And I think, quite frankly, the only reason why 10-year yields are not significantly lower is because of the stickiness of two-year. But when people finally realize that this yield curve is going to continue to invert, and we've talked about this for a while. I mean, I think we pushed down to 80 basis points inversion today-ish. I mean, it's going to 1%. And I've said it that, you know, I think it gets there in the form of three and a half in the 10 year and four and a half in the two year. And we'll see. To Carter's point, though, a lot of people would interpret that as bullish for the SP, a lower yield in the 10 year. But I think when people realize that yields are going down for the wrong reasons, they're going to rethink that. Let's take a quick question here. GLD, if we can pull up a GLD chart, Angel GNE or GNE, chance of gold hitting 175 GLD this week. Maybe we can pull up a chart real quick and take a look at it. I mean, gold's been disappointing to say the least. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought we were going to get, I thought we were going to continue to rally. We're testing the levels we last saw in August, seemingly failing there. Carter, what are your thoughts here in GLD? My sense is you're calling it a pair of twos at best. No, I like it. I mean, look, it's it's made the turn from from uh, my point of view, and this normal give back or dip is a simple reaction to the preceding strength, but. Didn't was that 175 in the next week? Yeah, uh, over the next couple of weeks, I oh, guess. A couple of weeks, yeah. I, I would say that's a long shot, right? That's a that's a hell of a move, but yeah, uh, I, I, I just want say to buy this dip. 
Yeah, one thing I'd say about the GLD, and I often like to see some of these ETFs that 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 you know kind of track a, a volatile futures contract or maybe um, something. I like to look at the options, and and sometimes the vol is really cheap. So when I look at the GLD, the implied volatility, the price of options on a thirty day basis about fourteen, and over the last thirty days, the historical vol has been about eighteen. So that means that options are relatively cheap. So if you're looking out, you know, let's say you think year end you have a rally. I don't know. I'm looking at like the deck 30 okay so it's trading at 162 right now the 162 call is about three dollars okay so that's about two percent of the etf price if you want to make a defined risk play that it could go to 170 or 175 you're risking two percent to do that over the next month or so so that's how i like to think about these sorts of things but if the implied vol was really high you know, relative to how much it's moving or its history, I wouldn't want to do that. So to me, I think vol looks pretty cheap in the GLD, especially if you have conviction one way or the other. Yeah. Listen, believe it or not, I mean, I think gold's actually going to trade on jobs number Friday. I know that sounds completely ludicrous, but I think that's going to be the next catalyst. So we'll see what happens on Friday. And what does that mean? Again, I think if you see unemployment tick higher, I think that will be bullish for gold. It's completely somewhat counterintuitive, but that's the way I would look at it. And that's my two cents before we 5,000. We got Monday night football tonight. Now it gets interesting as we move into December. We separate the wheat from the chaff. Again, I don't know what chaff is, but apparently it needs to be separated from wheat. I will tell you without equivocation, though, Carter Worth is neither wheat nor chaff. He is the gold standard, and we look forward to him each Monday and Wednesday. Dan, Nathan, final thoughts before I wrap. Yeah, man, I think this is going to be an exciting week here. And, you know, the way the market has started out here, um, you know, I, I really feel like keep an eye on those semiconductors. I think they kind of may tell a little bit of the story this week. And again, the jobs, that's going to be fun on Friday. So CBW, you remain the man tan and all sexy as hell. Dan, thanks, thank thanks. you. Obviously, thank our audience back tomorrow at one. I want to thank FactSet for the data and the charts they provide us each and every day. I want to thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m., Market Call.